welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hi there, welcome back to this apostolic music season. We are having a blast chatting with artists, musicians, and worship leaders, and we hope you're enjoying the conversations too. Today on the show, I'm chatting with someone whose name might not be familiar, but if you've watched a lot of apostolic music videos on YouTube, like our family has, you've seen his smiling face under curly hair and cool glasses as he plays keyboard for NAYC, General Conference, and on live recordings for James Wilson, Draylen Young, and more. Gideon Asefa joined me to talk about his unlikely road to music ministry, some of the bumps along the way, and what he's learned about preparation, leadership, and following God. We also get to hear a couple of fun behind the scenes stories from some of those recordings I mentioned. There's a lot to cover in this one, so we'll get to it. Here's my conversation with Gideon Asefa. Gideon Asefa, welcome to Good Question. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, it sounds great. Okay, awesome. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are as far as like your background, where you came from, how you started in music. And um, you've done some really cool stuff if you want to throw in some of the things, the cool things you've gotten to be participating in. Okay, sure. Yeah. All right. So my name is uh, Gideon Asefa. Um, I'm originally from New York, um, Long Island, New York. Uh, the church that I grew up in uh, is called Bethel United Pentecostal Church. The <laughs> pastor is Doug Davis. Yeah. So, so honestly, I grew up listening to him every Sunday. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know, but I've never heard him make a mistake on the piano. I'm still waiting for it. I don't think I'll ever find it. Anyway, so Pastor Doug, New York, so uh, was raised there, um, went to public school. My parents are from, from Ethiopia, so, you know, they believed in good education, get, get good grades and all that. Um, so then I was going to go to medical school. Um, I was going to go to Towson University, and it was, I think it was like three weeks maybe three weeks before. And like I registered, you know, I gave them money. I knew who my roommate was going to be. I forget what happened exactly, but I was praying and I, I don't remember the thing that happened, but back then we had a house phone. So I prayed on, the, I was on the phone with one of my friends and, and I hung up, I called my dad, my dad worked nights. And right before I called him, I said, all right, God, listen, I'm going to pray right now. And I, I talked to God. I said, God, I feel like I, I need to go to Bible school. Not a hundred percent, but if my dad says no, then I'm not going to go to Bible school. I'm not going to ask you again. Like, I'm just going to go to Towson and, and then that's it. But if he says anything else, then no. Like, we'll talk about it later. Yes. But I don't think he'd say yes. But <laughs> no. Hey, why do you want to do that? And, or something like that. Then I know. Because my dad is a professional at saying no. <laughs> and even my mom. Well, my mom, my mom is, is even, I think she's like the Marines of saying no. She's... <laughs> So like guaranteed, you know, like if you go into a situation, you're like, man, my mom's going to say yes. That's not, my mom's going to say no, you know? So, (laughs) 
So I asked my dad, I was like, hey, I want to go to about three weeks before I, you know, I had my classes. I was going to go to pre-med. Wow. And I said, hey, I think I want to go to Bible school instead of Towson University. Is that okay with you? And my dad said, hey, hey, listen, um, can we talk about this tomorrow? We'll, we'll talk tomorrow. So I said, okay, cool. So I hung I said, okay, I'm going to Bible school. And that was the end. <laughs> like, I knew because my dad didn't say no. And obviously he was busy, but so the next day, I talked to my dad. I said, hey, I want to go to Bible school. And my dad said, well, why do you want to go to Bible school? I said, I, man, I really feel like I'm supposed to be doing this. And, and then that's it. I, I, I had no, like, that was it. That's all I had. And so my dad said, okay, well, if you want to go to Bible school, um, just you need to figure out how to do that. And I, I can't, you know, I can't help you, but you just figure out all the details and then we'll, we'll do it. Hmm. And then my dad said, there's one thing. He said, I just make you a deal. I'll pay for your first four years of college, wherever you go. But after four years, I'm not going to pay for your schooling anymore. So I said, okay. So he said, so if you want to go to Bible school for four years, I'll pay for your Bible school. But then after, after that, you can't, like, I'm not going to pay for your education anymore. So I said, okay, cool. And, and I knew what that meant. I, so he wants me to go, you know, like, even if I went to med school, you know, went to school, it's, you know, 80,000, you know, it's yeah. like $80,000, you know, he would have paid eight, you know, $160,000 for two years. Yeah. But I went to IBC. Um, and, you know, looking back, I had this, it wasn't as costing the same amount to go to Towson to do pre-med or to go to IBC, was the, uh, you know, with all the scholarships and everything. So ironically, I was going to go to Gateway. At the time, it was, it was called Gateway. And um, I, uh, I, I'm hanging out with Vito. So Vito Giovanni, he's also from Bethel United Pentecostal Church. And he went to, he just graduated uh, the year before. So my junior year of high school, he graduated from IBC. And then uh, I'm hanging out with him and Jessica DiGiovanni, they're, they're living in New York. They, you know, they got married and everything. And so they're in New York for a year. So I'm talking to Vito and I said, hey, Vito, I just want to let you know, super excited. I know you went to IBC, but I'm going to go to Gateway and I'm going to go to Bible school. I'm really excited about it. And he said, oh, well, why are you going to Gateway? And I said, I don't really know a lot about IBC. I know they have music and stuff, but, and I was just telling him, there's this guy, James Avery Sims, who was at Gateway and, I, and I've heard him sing and stuff. And I was like, man, I think like, I kind of want to be like him. So, you know, I want to go to Gateway. And Vito said, oh, no, no, don't go to Gateway. We're, we're going to be working at IBC this year. So you should go to IBC. So I said, oh, you guys are working at IBC? Okay, cool. Well, I'll go to IBC. <laughs> so literally, that, that, was the, that was like, like, that was it. And so I, I figure out, so this is three weeks. So three weeks, I'm talking about before the first day of class. And so I, I print everything out and I need like a pastoral signature for me to go. So I go up to Pastor Doug and I say, hey, like, I'm super scared because, like, you know, I'm talking to Pastor Doug about something that I need. So, <laughs> so I go to him. I say, hey, um, I want to go to Bible school. Um, is that OK with you? I, I need you to sign this document. And he says, oh, we, we need to have a meeting about that. I'll sign it, but we need to have a meeting. So mm-hmm. I said, OK. So he signs it, but then we have to have a meeting. So anyways, yeah, so that was really nervous. Um, <laughs> I made me really nervous. So, yeah. Anyways, I, t- I take all the documents. I go to the post office. And I remember this was on, I think it was, I forget what day it was, but I go to the post office and I'm, I'm like, I promise you, I'm like, man, you know, I'm going to Bible school. I can't lie anymore. Cause I, I mean, I wasn't the best person, but I'm trying, right? So I'm trying. <laughs> so I go to the post office. I dropped off everything in the mailbox. Like I'm talking about, I, everything is in one envelope and I put it in the mailbox. And then I call IBC. I walk out and I say, hey, um, I'm just wondering, did you guys get my, um, my application for IBC? <laughs> and, 
and they said, oh, um, what's your name? And I said, oh, it's Gideon. Gideon and stuff. It's from New York. I just, you know, I dropped it off at the post office, but I don't know <laughs> if you guys got it yet. So I'm not lying about it. <laughs> so, so she said, oh, no, no, uh, we didn't get it yet, but it's okay. Well, if we get in the next couple of days, it's, it'll be totally fine. So I said, oh, okay, okay, cool. Well, great then. Um, well, I'll just be looking out for it and we'll just process it as soon as you get in. So I'm telling you, I sent my resume, my high school resume of all the clubs that I was in. And her name is Jennifer Mass. She said that nobody else that she's ever gotten, you know, had received my resume. And I'm thinking like, like, oh, well, they need to know what clubs I was in to see what, you know, I had no, like, I didn't even know what majors they had. I'd never been to Indiana. I never, I don't know anything about IC. So like, I'm thinking like, oh, like they're going to, like, I did everything that I did for all these secular colleges that I did, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, so I went to IBC for four years. And when I got there, they, they said, well, what, what major do you want? And I said, well, what are your options? I, I don't know. And they said, um, you know, well, we have biblical studies and we have music. And I said, is that it? Do you guys have anything else? <laughs> and they said, they said, no, that's, that's all we have. So I said, man, well, I said, if you do biblical studies, what does that mean? It's like, well, basically that's all on track to be, you want to be an evangelist, a preacher, a teacher. And I said, man, that's not, ah, man, that's not me. I said, what about, <laughs> well, I played the piano. I think, well, at that point I had quit. I quit the piano for probably two years and I was playing the cello instead because um, I was in the orchestra and I was trying to, to do that. But um yeah, I said, yeah, you know, I play the piano. I'll do music. So they said, okay, well, we'll have we'll have you be a music major. I said, cool. Well, uh, I said, what about minors? And you know, I just did a music minor as well. And and I just, everything I did was music class. Um, I did uh, ch- end up changing that. I think my minor was actually biblical studies, but I ended up changing. So my major was biblical studies, and my minor was worship studies. But the first year at IBC, I was just I I, di- I didn't get it. Like I, I promise you, you would have. Like, I totally didn't get IBC. Um, <laughs> like, I, like, I don't know. But this is like the thing that people like, like, you know, now that I've traveled and I've seen people like love IBC, they listen to IBC their, their teen years and, and they, they go to IBC and they're like, man, this is it. This is like the Mecca of music ministry. And I had no idea That's what IBC so was. Funny. So this is funny. I'm not going to tell you who did this, but even the first day, so I drive we leave my house at like five o'clock in the afternoon and we drive 12 hours. Oh my, my dad goodness. just got me, he got me a Volkswagen and uh, man, um, we drive 12 hours. We got there at like, it was a 14 hour drive. So we got there at seven o'clock in the morning. We slept for three hours. They had registration orient- orientation on that Saturday at 10. And I totally fell asleep. Like I, I just fell asleep during the orientation. Mm. So the first day of class, I remember, I remember what I wore because Brother Anderson took a picture of me. Um, and he and he keeps it. I had braces. I didn't smile though. My hair was crazy. Um, I had I was wearing all black. I had a piano belt. I had a huge binder. I had a black and white tie that was like a piano, and I had a piano wallet. And Brother Anderson, he he has a photo, and he laughed. It was oh, that's that, so that's funny. Sa- that same day. That same day, I came back. I changed, and I came back to get dinner, and I was wearing shorts. And so, mm. like to me, like you know, I so. This is, I'm coming from, from New York and, and I had run uh, half marathons, multiple half marathons. And I, I've been running uh, uh, six days a week for, for three years, uh, almost, almost four years at that point. And so I, I wore shorts like every day. And so I get to IBC and I fell asleep during orientation. So I didn't know. And there's a senior who, who pushes me against the wall, literally pins me against the wall. And he says, what are you doing? And I say, I'm, I'm going to the cafeteria. And he said, uh, 
why are you wearing shorts? You know, you're not supposed to be wearing shorts here. And I said, no, I didn't know that. He's like, well, why are you wearing shorts? And I said, well, it's because it's hot outside. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like totally like, I, I promise I had no idea. And so everybody else in the student lobby is laughing at me because, you know, this senior is pinning me on the wall and I'm wearing shorts and I don't, I don't get it. And so he says, no, you're supposed to go back. You need to go back and change it in the pants. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yes, I'm serious. And I said, you're just joking. You're just picking on me because I'm a freshman, right? And he said, no. <laughs> and I look at everybody else and everybody's still laughing. So I don't know if he's serious because oh usually in New York, you know, if, if this happens, it's because that, that, that person's joking and they're just trying to pick on you because right. you're new. So anyways, I said, okay, I'll go back and change. So I, I went back and changed. And the next day I asked the campus pastor, his brother Roma, he's a pastor in Illinois now, but... But uh, I asked him, I said, hey, are, are we allowed to wear shorts here? And he said, no, it's in, the, it's in the student handbook. We went over that during orientation. I said, man, I'm so sorry. I fell asleep. So, <laughs> anyways, yeah, so that's a, that's a funny story. But yeah, my first teacher was George Taylor. He, he taught me a lot and uh, really encouraged me to practice. I practiced, I think it was three hours every day. I practiced and two hours on Saturdays, my whole first semester at IBC. And I really didn't have a lot of friends my first semester. But I practiced every day because I wasn't in praise. I wasn't in anything. I was just, you know, you try for corral, you make, you make corral. And then after that, if you want to be in praise, they, they, they pick out of your uh, corral tryouts. But I was in singers. This is the group that if you don't make corral, you, you, you go into singers. Anyways, I made praise my junior year. And ever since then, um, after I graduated, obviously, I, I worked at First Church of Pearland, which is in Houston. Uh, Pastor is uh, Brother Gurley. And then I moved to work at uh, Indiana Bible College and uh, work at Calvary Tabernacle. And so I did that for a year. And then after that, I went to Michigan and there was a church that was starting in D Detroit. Um, there was a church that was starting in Royal Oak and I was, I was kind of helping them and I was going to First Church of Sterling Heights. So, and I did that for, I think almost a year. And then I met my pastor, my current pastor on a missions trip to the Philippines. I've been here since 2018. All these opportunities had opened up to me. Before then, I, I mean, I had a few opportunities. I played for NAYC uh, in 2015. I was really privileged to go there. And NAYC was like, I think at the end, I think it was beginning of August. It was like the first week of August. And uh, I didn't have any money. Uh, I was broke. And I, I just paid to go, uh, you know, I was saving up money to pay to go to Okinawa for a missions trip. And, um, uh, and uh, the missionary there, uh, it was a uh, pastor Don. He actually passed away. Um, I, I think it was COVID, but I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. But he passed away last year. But I was there. And Okinawa changed my life. There was uh, her name was Susan Diaz, and she married a guy who was in the military, and he stayed there. and And I loved her. And I, everywhere she went, I said, "I'm gonna go to Susan Diaz." <laughs> I come back from Okinawa, and um, and I had no money, you know. So it was the the week after was NAYC, and I tell, you know, I'm on my way there and I run out of gas, right? So I run out of gas and um, I, I called my dad for, for some gas money because I didn't have any money. And my dad said, uh, you know, I'm not, and I, I'm telling him, I'm on my way to NAYC. It's sold out. You know, it's the whole NAYC in 2015. You know, I asked my dad for money for gas so I can get there. And, you know, my dad said, uh, he, you know, he was obviously upset. You know, he, he said, man, you know, I know you're going to NAYC, but you don't even have the gas money to get there. So he said, what are you doing with your life? And I said, I know, I, I know it's just, I'm just in a, in a hard spot right now. And he said, I, like, I get it. 
I get it. Um, but, but I don't, you know, I, I wish you wouldn't do this for money. And I, I was really sad about it. You know, he gave me gas money, but he was mad that I was at a gas station for like three hours, you know, waiting, mm-hmm. waiting to go to NAY. I, I'm playing for a sold out, 19,000 people in Oklahoma city, you know? So, uh, NAYC was probably the most, it was the, probably the most difficult thing that I've ever done because it was very, it was a very, I don't know why, but it was very spiritually, it was very difficult. I knew that we were being attacked spiritually and we, mm. we, we prayed and you know, we fasted and I'm telling you, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, we're all like, man, like this is a really hard time for us. And we mm-hmm. talked about it. We, we all had something that we were really struggling with. Yeah. And it's just like, it, it's literally like, you know, the perfect storm of, uh, bad things. And so, we all like prayed and we all said, we need to get this together. Like, I know like Marx was like, and, and I, I was just down because I was like, man, like I can't even afford to be here, you know? So, yeah. um, but we had all honestly with, with that situation, we, we prayed about it and we asked for literally the strength of the Lord to help us through this week because we were all serving to, I mean, I don't know. I never had that, that kind of opportunity since. And, you know, and I had, but it was very, it was very difficult. It was really hard. Um, it was really hard. So, um, and that's the thing. The thing about NAYC, it was that it was that the the UPCI, the, the youth division, and 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 God had trusted us with that opportunity to let us be somebody who could be in that kind of position and handle the weight of that, you know. And so it it was it was really difficult. But then again, when I look back on it, it was really fun too, you know. Yeah. So now I'm playing at NAYC and. People are like, man, like I, I wish I was one of those people. A lot of people don't know that I was like flat broke. Like my glasses, yeah. my glasses broke before I went to Japan, and I had super glued them. And this is this is oh a funny goodness. story. This is, so this is a really funny story. Uh, I mean, I guess now, I mean, it's still it was funny then, but um, I, they, I I broke them next to my friend Isaac Cadden. He asked me to play for Indiana family camp right before I went to Okinawa and my glasses broke. And I said, man, like I can't get new glasses because, you know, I don't have any time. So plus I, I just didn't have the money. So I just super glued them. And so I go to Okinawa and I'm like, they're fine. They broke. They broke. Oh no. Uh, like while brothers, like brother, brother Aaron Bounds is on the platform. And the moment that they broke, if you go back and watch the video, it's really funny. He, brother Aaron Bounds is up there and he and he brings Brother Stone King up, and you hear like a pad in the background. I'm playing that pad, and um, it's so funny. So uh, I'm playing the pad, and my glasses break. And there's a camera guy. There's like the, the you know they have a camera guy that walk around with a camera. His name is Paul. I met him because of this. And every time I see him <laughs> at conferences, I see I see him at general conference. You know, every time I I've seen him, I, I was playing at a uh, a, a Holy Ghost rally called Save Our Nation in Wisconsin. He was there. It's the same, it's the same, it's the same guy. He's been doing it for years. And his name is Paul. And I and and so I stopped playing. And but like Brother Stone King's coming up and I stopped playing. And I say to him, I say, hey man, um, hey, I my glasses just broke. Do you do you see the lens anywhere? I can't I can't see. But oh, no. I, I also can't like I like I'm saying like I can't get up and look for it because it's like the middle of service. <laughs> We're sitting in a circle. Everyone will know what I'm doing. So he so he gets up and he starts looking for my glasses and and, and he says, "Man, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't find your lens." <laughs> so I say, "Oh, I say, oh, hopefully we don't have to play for this ultra call because I can't I can't see anything." 
And mm-hmm. Brother Stone King did that prayer. And so it was fine. We didn't need to play, so it was fine. But yeah, stuff like that happens. But uh, anyway, since then, since 2015, I've played, I mean, I've played in the Philippines um, on a missions trip. I've played in, in uh, Switzerland. I've played in, in, in Italy. I've played in France. I've played in, uh, I went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. I played a lot of conferences, a lot of HYCs, um, a few recordings. Um, there's more recordings coming up. Um, yeah. I've, and so, yeah, so uh, I, I basically, I've been really privileged and, and uh, really blessed to be able to have the opportunity to play at these things. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of my story. Uh, that was a long story short, but uh, well, a long story long, actually. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's so good because you're right. We can look at, you know, you can look at these like slick, amazing, you know, um, James Wilson songs for the nation videos and, and you're up there and you're smiling and you're, you're having a blast and you can look at these NAYCs and all these things. And you're right. Like we don't know what people have sacrificed to be where they are and how much time, how much practice, how much prayer and, and sacrifice has gone into, to following God, um, into these places where he wants us to minister. Yeah. It's it's a big deal. It's a big deal to give up four years of pre med to go play music, <laughs> yeah, um, and not know that you're going to have a job at the end of it. Like that, that's a walk of faith. Yeah, I I was very lucky. Um, to my knowledge, there's maybe somebody else, but I don't know anybody in my graduating class, 2009 or 2008 or 2010, that got a full time music position at a church. I know a lot of people worked in ministry, but they, they were bivocational, and so they had another job. Mm-hmm. So one question that we're asking all of our guests this season could be considered controversial, and that is, what are your thoughts? How do you feel about the idea of collaborating with artists who are not apostolic? I don't want to say that's controversial, but that is that is the, the question that a lot of people have different opinions on, basically. Right. So, right. And the reason why they have their opinions on it is because... Well, if your pastor's more conservative, then no. If your pastor's more, I would say, liberal, then they'd be more understanding, de- right. de- depending on the situation. And the situation is the thing that would be the point to figure it out. Right. So, I mean, obviously, you have to ask your pastor. And if they're not down, then it doesn't matter what I say. But I want, I want the truth. And if the truth is preference, then that's what the answer is going to be in this case. But people want to know what that is. And so I have to say... Because I know people who have done things and have played for people where most pastors won't agree with, but yeah. but the but the individual's pastor was okay with it because they knew the intent of the individual, they knew the heart of the individual, so they let him go. Right, right. Well, it's a it's a recurring theme on like lots of different topics, and kind of the thing that if I ever uh, get around to writing a book, uh, will probably be a big theme of a book I want to write. Uh, is that a lot of people want black and white rules when really the point is to be led by the spirit. Yeah. And the spirit's going to lead different people, different places and that's okay. (laughs) And that's not hypocritical and that's not a double standard. That's just because the spirit knows what each of us can handle and what we can't. Yeah. And and I, and I'm a very black and white person. I love like just, I I love the rules because if it's a rule, then you can seek understanding in that. But also you, you have to understand like, it's not for everything that you're trying to do. It's not that black and white. You can't, your answer may be yes or no, but the reasoning behind that may not be black and white all the time. So yeah, yep, yep, it's a challenge. And so, like, 
there was a question that you said, what is the direction of the app stock music? I got a master's degree in business administration, and now mm. I'm doing a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology. What they do mm. is they study people in work environments to see what they could do to optimize the work environment. And so you, you study groups of people. So every day I've been reading case studies and I'm trying to think about like why things are the way that they are in organizations or like how do people get to certain conclusions? Because it's usually the problems that we see are, are very complicated and they're multi-layered and there's a lot of time that it takes to get to where you see the problem. But usually the solutions are very easy. This is just you know, a crazy example, and, and, I, and I hate that this is still an example. Hey, my father was an alcoholic, and he was abusive. And so mm-hmm. because you know, when I was a kid, going from age zero to 18, I had to live in that environment. Now I'm a certain way, and now I'm 40 years old, and this is just the way that I am now because that's how I was raised. So yeah. they're very, very, very kind. And so maybe they may be an alcoholic. They may you know, suffer with, with anger, or they may be abusive. Those, those issues are usually multi-layered, but um, the solutions are, are very easy. Hey, well, you need to stop drinking alcohol. Like that's number one. Okay. And if you have anger, like, okay, if you need to be an AA, but like, or, or if, if it's something that God can, can heal you from, or maybe if you need joy in a, di- a different place or, you know, obviously like if you got the Holy Ghost and if you, and if you pray, you have a walk with God. That's going to help you so much. But like, if you have the Holy Ghost, you can't be drinking alcohol, you know what I'm saying? And mm. if, you, if that's something that you deal with, you can't be going back to that. So it's kind of with repentance, you turn around. But yeah. that's, that's an example. But usually in, in the church, when I see issues and when I see like system, system problems, things that are, that are very, very layered, I'll give you an example. Um, we have planning center at, my church. So we use Planning mm-hmm. Center. Planning Center is a online platform that allows you to schedule uh, services and it gives you can put all the details in there. You can schedule your people. But anyways, Planning Center, right? So a cultural issue, um, culture uh, is a big deal. And so in my music department with Planning Center, I'll see issues and I'll try to go back and I'll say, am I, am I the bottleneck? Am I the reason why this isn't growing? Because mm. sometimes I'll say like, I'll say, well, I'm, I'm now in this culture, you know, I'm in Montgomery, Alabama, and I'm, I'm looking at this and I'll say, okay, so this is what's happening. Why, how do we get to here? You know, they say, they'll, they'll look at the analogies, the island of Pompeii, if you want to rebuild that city, do you want to look at why everybody in, in the, on the island of Pompeii was destroyed? Or do you want to build the city? The reason why they were destroyed is they were ignoring the signs of the volcano. Why were mm-hmm. they ex- ignoring the signs of the volcano? See, if so... It's the same thing with our church. So when there's issue in our music department, I'll say, man, we can't get any volunteers to do sound. We can't get any volunteers to do media or to do production or, you know, our, our singers, they, they don't accept until last second. So it is, is it me or is it something mm-hmm. else, you know? So a lot of the times to go back, to go back to not just see the issue, not the problem, but to go back to see like what it really, how do we get to this point? The solutions are sometimes very easy, but unless you know exactly what the what the real problem is, you may see a symptom of the problem. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, you can get you can get kind of confused. So, for example, uh, you know we can't get somebody to do sound. So, what's the issue? Is is it about volunteers or is it about um, a culture of micromanaging? 
And so when you have a culture of micromanaging, on the other hand, you get your volunteers to have a culture of learned helplessness. So what that means is Mm. nobody's going to do anything unless you tell them exactly what to do, when to do it. And after they're done, they're going to leave because they don't want to upset whoever is the micromanager, you know? And so sometimes, sometimes I look at myself and I say, Hey, am I micromanaging? So if, if I'm in a culture of micromanaging and if I see if that's the issue, then actually what I have to do is do the opposite of micromanaging, which is delegate as much as I can empower everybody else to do what I need to do. And and then also in public, affirm that other leader and let them Ooh. let let them make the decision. And if they fail, let them fail. And mm. and then the, the create a safe environment where if they are going to fail, then um, then it's OK because they, they need to feel safe in that environment. Um, if in your praise team, if you're singers, if you if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel like they can actually venture out or sing the solo, or if they don't feel like they can do sound because they don't, they're going to mess up and everyone's going to attack them because there's feedback in the sound system, or mm-hmm. if they're if they're going to be attacked because they messed up and not, and if they don't feel safe, they're not going to volunteer. And so, what you actually have to do is create a a, a place where everybody can feel safe. And when they make mistakes, because they're going to make mistakes, but you, you empower them, you, 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 you support them and you're there for them. So anyway, so that's uh so long story, but um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of what I feel responsible for. So when there's issues yeah. in our worship department, I, I try to help um, and not just the symptom or not just, I try to analyze it from, well, how do we get here? Because if it's, if it's, if it's a deep rooted issue, if it's a cultural issue, so culture, they say that, you know, culture is one of the hardest things to change. It is because culture exists in the people that are at, in your group, basically, Mm -hmm. or at your church. And people don't always realize that they're, what they're experiencing is culture. They just think everyone else has culture, but this is just the way things are. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's like the whole analogy about the fish in the water and the the young fish in the water and the older fish swims by and says, "Oh, the water's it, nice water today." And the younger fish say, "What water?" Exactly. Like they don't they don't realize what they're swimming in. Um so what I'm hearing from you is a passion for leaders who are humble enough to be able to take their ego out of it and say, "I could be the problem." Um exactly. and or I don't always have every solution. Yeah, ego ego is a success killer. Um, yeah. If you have ego, I mean, like servant leadership is the only kind of leadership that Jesus taught us in the Bible, and that there's right. a reason for that. Um, and if you if you model yourself after the kind of leadership, I mean, you can obviously lead from uh, a source of power and and authoritative uh, or authoritative uh, angle where you tell everybody what to do, they're going to follow you, or else. And that I mean, that kind of leadership. It, it exists where you lead out of fear. And the great example mm. of that is, is Hitler. Uh, he was very charismatic, though. He's very, you know, and people wanted to follow him, but they also feared him. Yeah. Um, so um, you can lead from that angle, but the best kind of angle is to, to do what Jesus did. I tell everybody, listen, it, servant leadership is the best. If you want to lead, just look at Jesus. Look yeah. at Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because so much of what we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about apostolic music this season, but like, 
if you are involved in music in a church, you know that there is so much more to what goes into this than just the songs that we sing in yeah. a church service. Yes. Like you were talking about planning center and organizing volunteers and making sure that you got all of your positions covered and you got enough voices in this um you know, in this part and in that part, and does everybody know their part? And then that's just like on a logistical level. Then you get down to like an interpersonal level. And what I've told Dave, you know, we've moved around. So I have been in, I have lived in six different states and we've been in different churches. And everywhere I go, one of the best ways that I can find to, to make friends, to get connected into a church is to get involved in the music team. I love to sing. Um, I'm not like a great soloist, but I can sing a strong alto and I love to get in there and, and to sing and to sing with the group. It's like one of my very favorite things. It brings me so much joy. Yeah. And whenever you get together in a group like that, there's bonding that takes place. You get to know people, you're in rehearsals together. But what I've also discovered is that maybe more than anywhere else in the church, you get to find out who people are and you get to find out what makes them tick and what makes them mad and how well they take correction and who has an attitude and who has a problem with who. I mean, you can find out all kinds of stuff yeah, <laughs> in it, music it, practice. Immediately, yeah. Immediately. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And so having someone, people who want to be leaders in this in this arena, it's more than just knowing how to play your instrument. It's more than just knowing how to teach parts. There's a big interpersonal part to it. And I think what you're saying about Jesus being the model of a servant leader is so key. Like this is critical in every department, but specifically in a music department, I can I can only imagine how badly it can go and then how well it can go if someone in leadership takes on this call to be this person for, yeah. their, for their group. Yeah, and the thing, the thing about... Also, looking at Jesus and and uh, and like looking really analyzing how he led and how he taught, um, there was there was a lot of love when he taught, and there was a mm-hmm. lot of understanding. He when he answered questions, he wasn't he wasn't just answering questions; he was answering the spirit of the question. So, what mm. I mean by that, it, it was like the question that's behind the question. Right. So, um, not just reading the story, but if you know the whole story and then you go backwards and say, oh, well, why didn't he do this? Well, why didn't he do this? Well, there was a certain reason for that because he doesn't do anything by mistake and, and he knows. So the spirit of the question. So when there's, and I, and I try to apply the same thing uh, to my music team. So the easiest thing to do on, the, on my worship team or, or on the worship team is actually me playing the piano. That's the easiest thing that I do. It's usually I could practice at home in a safe mm-hmm. environment. And then when I come to rehearsal, it's going to look like a piano. It's going to look like the same piano that I had. And then when I played during the Sunday service, it's going to be the same piano. <laughs> when I went to uh, Indiana Bible College, I took a class called Church Administration 101. And they said that 90% of what you do is not going to be music. It's really mm-hmm. managing people. It's leading people, mm-hmm. taking people from one place to another place. And that's and I, and all of your issues. I've never had an issue with playing the piano. Um, like you know, if I, if I have an issue, it's like oh, the song is really hard. Then I practice, and then after that, I learn the song. I I get a chord chart. If I can't get a chord chart, I'll go on YouTube. I'll slow the song down. I, if it's a problem, I know how to fix it because I was mm. taught how to fix you know issues in terms of me learning material for a song. If it's issues with people, I gotta I gotta call I gotta call mentors. I gotta ask my pastor. I gotta like mm. I don't know how to do with this. What's what, what should I do here? You know, because sometimes I don't always have the resource myself and I have to call other people that are 
you know, leading me basically, or people that are mentoring mm-hmm. me, you know. So, and that's something else that I advise, you know. I, I know that you have a, a pastor. Uh, everybody would have a pastor, but also to have mentors in your life that are completely removed. They know you, they know who you are, they know what you're about, but like they don't know this, they don't know the internal situations. Yeah. So what is your advice for people? Where did you find the people that you consider to be mentors? How did you develop that relationship with them? And what would you say to people who are saying, I want a mentor, I need someone to help me, but I don't know where to look for somebody? Okay. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So in our apostolic movement, um, there's, there's a lot of people who you can ask. Okay. So, so there's certain things that I go to certain people for, but it's, it's very crucial. So I, I literally... Literally, I promise you, I promise you, I went up to them. I went up to uh, Kevin Howard, and he was at a conference. Uh, it was at Music Fest. I went up to him, and I said, hey, you know, um, and he knows who I am. You know, I, I play I play at some places, but I said, hey, is it okay if I get your phone number? And if I have any questions about something, is it okay if I call you? And he said, oh, of course, no problem. Um, mm-hmm. I got his phone number, and I think I've texted him twice about issues where I actually needed something. And if I'm going to ask him a question, I'm going to wait for his answer. I know a lot of times people are busy. And so I'll text him um, and I'll ask him, hey, um, you know, this certain question. And then I'll wait for his response. I'm not going to move until he gives me that response. Honestly, if you have a question uh, about trying to find, well, who, who should I ask? It's mm-hmm. you find somebody who is down the line uh, further than you. For example, if you want to be an evangelist, uh, I would find who's an evangelist, someone that you feel like you can connect to. And honestly, I would just say, hey, like reach out to them, go to a conference. Um, obviously, like the best kind of thing is a personal connection, uh, mm-hmm. just so you could talk to them, like whether it's general conference, whether it's something that's local. And, and honestly, I would just literally just go up to them and ask them. I know that that's scares some people. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a fear, but because uh, and, and, I, you know, sometimes I fear about asking Laird Silman or little Anderson, a question about my life. Like they don't, they don't, you know, they don't live in, for example, Montgomery, Alabama. So I feel like I'd be bothering them, but no, they, they actually, they actually want to help, you know? And so I, just to respect their time, I don't ask them all the time, but these are people that I do, I do trust and I do, and I believe, and I believe what they say, you know, they're not, they're not out for, they don't have a, you know, an ulterior motive, but they're out for my benefit. So when I ask them, you know, it's a, uh, it's really good. So yeah, I would just ask them like in person if possible, but if not, you can message them on Facebook or message them on Instagram. I would, I would steer away from those options if possible. And I yeah. would try to get their phone number. Yeah. I love that. I, I think that so many times we make things so complicated and, and all you have to do is ask. I mean, exactly, the worst thing yeah. that someone's going to tell you is like, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. Or, you know, and that yeah. might feel weird for a second, but at least then, you know, and you can, and you can, you know, look around for somebody else. I think, I think that the people that we look up to the most are the ones who do have that servant leader model and they're, and they're showing us how to do that. And part of that is investing in people behind us. And so they're willing to do it as much as we need it, they're willing to pour it into us. And so why not? Why yeah. not go after it? You know, exactly. I think it's important. I think it's important. A lot of times people, they have the question, now, I don't know what I'm supposed to do for God, right? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing for him. And so they question, they pray about it and they don't know. So they kind of, they're aimless. They're aimless in, in their, what they're supposed to be doing. And what I found out recently, which is, 
and this is Gideon theology, so this is uh, this is too much <laughs> then. But I, I really believe that God has placed that thing inside of you since birth. So this way you wouldn't lose it. So this way you wouldn't forget. And you think you think sometimes like, oh, like, well, you know, if, if you're going to use Moses as, as an example, like he wasn't qualified because he he was slow of speech. But to me, what I'm saying is if if you feel responsible for something, like if you feel like if you're bothered by something and you, mm. and that's the thing that you do and you think about when nobody else is nudging you or or if you like that's the thing that you think about, then I would say that that God has placed you in wherever you're at to take care of that. Well, I love this, Gideon. Like this is such good, um, wise counsel for people who are wanting to lead in any area, um, wanting to lead in music. And we're talking about apostolic music this season. You've done some really cool stuff if you want to throw in some of the things, the cool things you've gotten to be participating in. This is a funny story, but the hardest recording I've ever played for was Mark, Mark Crowder's recording. And the, the level of excellence was like, at, I was at 100% the whole week. I was at my max that whole week. I was playing two keyboards. I had prepared, I took notes on every song. I knew what patch, which sound I was going to use for every section of every song because I got the demos. I knew exactly what I was going to do and I had everything mapped. So I came into the rehearsal at 100%. I, I said, this is the best I can do. And the best I can do wasn't good enough. So there was another Ox Keys player that was there, Isaac and Kurt Kenai. I love Kurt so much. And I played with him before, but on recording, it's different. I felt like I was the weakest link in this whole thing. So I said, the best thing I can do is know exactly what I'm going to do for whatever section. So I did that. And there'd be, it was all of Monday and half of Tuesday. It took us two days to get through all the material. Like we'd be going over a section and he'd say, everybody stop. Isaac and Gideon, play this section with me. One, and he'd count us in and then we'd, we'd have to start playing. And then he would, he would listen to us and he would listen to what we're doing. And he said, Gideon and Isaac, your patches sound the same. Did you guys talk to each other last week? Did you guys communicate on what you guys were going to do? I'd never, I'd never played on a record with more than one aux keys player. And I said, no, I, I didn't talk to him. I didn't, I didn't call him. And he said, you guys need to be more prepared. Next time that there's, because the guitar players oh. did that. The guitar players, they talked about who was going to do what and what kind of tone. I didn't think about that. I never, I've never been in that environment. And so... For that, for that whole day, all of Monday and half of Tuesday, Kurt was, and he was critically listening to us. And it was, when we went to go get lunch and we were done with everything, he said, all right, guys, we're done. And it was so funny. He knows the Yamaha Montage keyboard very well. When he would ask us about what we we're going to do, he'd say, I want something more like this. And he'd like go and find a sound. And he, and he knew all the sounds on that keyboard. And then he'd play it on the keyboard. And he said, I want you to find a sound like this. And then, and then he'd go back into the rehearsal and I can't play because I got to find a sound like that, you know? So <laughs> I, I'm missing, I'm missing the rehearsal. And by, by Tuesday, we were going to lunch and this is why I love Kurt so much because it wasn't personal. He wasn't trying yeah. to attack me. He just wanted a good record. So he said, he said this to me, he said, I know I'm being really hard on you guys, but you'll be better for it. And mm -hmm. that's it. That's all he said. And I, and I was like, man, I can't be mad at him because he's right. You know, <laughs> he's right. You know, I can't, I, and so the next time, now, I, now that I have that knowledge, it cost me two days. But at the end of it, it was very good because there's actually another level of preparation that I didn't know. And so uh, anyways, I, I learned a lot of lessons with that recording. I mean, with these records, they're all very different. Mm -hmm. I got really lucky to play on James's first album. 
And because I played on his first album, he asked me to play on his second album because I played on James. Draylon asked me to play on his album. And then Mark asked me to play on his album. So it's honestly, I've been, I've, it's just been blessed, but nobody knows the reason why I asked, why James asked me to play on his first album. I was leaving ministry. I wanted to quit ministry. And hmm. I told, I told God, I'm like, hey, listen, like I'm done because like, I don't, I'd rather not do this. I'm just going to go home and start over. And, um, and I was on my way back to New York. I was driving to New York. And I asked James, I said, hey, man, I'm going back to New York. And this is before he ever did the, you know, and I, and I went to go see him and uh, hang out with him. And so, like, we went downtown D.C. and we hung out. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, listen, I'm, I'm quitting ministry. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. And one, one of my friends, one of his pastors told him what ministry is. Ministry is how much you can take. That's what that's what his definition of ministry was. And so I said, man, I can't take this anymore. And so James said, I'm sorry, this was like years before. He said, man, you can't quit. We need you. Like, we need people like you in the movement. We need you to keep it moving. We need you to keep it going. And you can't quit ministry. And so I said, and, and, and I told him I was still going to quit. And so he said, man, we need to hang out tomorrow. Can I get you a hotel? I said, no, you don't have to get me a hotel. And he paid for a hotel out of his own. Uh, you know, he was renting a room from a family. And so they, they, uh, there was not enough space for me to stay with him. So he got me a hotel room. And so, um, out of his own pocket. And so we went out the next day and he, he, he tried to convince me for, for the whole day to stay in ministry. So I told him, I said, okay, I'll stay in ministry. And he's, and I said, if you ever need anything in your life, you know, I owe you a favor. So fast forward, James said, Hey, Gideon, I need a favor. I need you to play ox keys on my record but I can't pay you anything. When you get here, um, you know, we could give you a place to stay and we could give you food. So I, so I said, okay, like I'll do it. And so I drove, nobody knows, like I drove 14 hours, got, everybody makes fun of me because I came late to the rehearsal, but like it took me forever to get there to Maryland. And I drove, brought my keyboard, stayed there for the whole week and then played and then left. And, you know, I was doing the favor, but it was a big deal. He paid me two years later. He paid me two years later when, when he could before, um, before the, the next uh, recording. But so now fast forward, I'm thinking about this. And like, you know, there's days that everybody wants to quit. Like I want to quit, you know, sometimes. Uh, we, when we came into the James's first record, we, we kind of, you know, we kind of took it as a church service that we were kind of creating. Um, and so some of the lines that we came up with, like on Wait on the Lord, that was Andy and I, we came up with that, you know? Mm. But like, for example, the, the line on, I got a song, that, that whole line, that came mm-hmm. up from James, James Avery Sims in, in uh, where, where is he at? It's uh, Apopka, Florida. That's where it is. And so he came, and he's a genius. I mean, all the stuff that he's been able to do, he's phenomenal. So I didn't make that line up, but he, you know, he made that up. But there's still, it's so funny. It's, it's so important to be, to, to understand like, People want to work with you if you're a nice person. If you if you if you have a good attitude, if you have uh, you know a very sweet spirit, um, people want to work with you. And because the thing about it, you're going to be in like a pressure cooker for a week, and you're going to be seeing these people for ten hours a day, twelve hours a day, and you're going to have to be mentally prepared to like handle having a good attitude for 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day for a mm. week. And then at the end, come up with a great product. So, so a lot of the times, you know, everything's a joke with these rehearsals. It's 
we were, this is, it's so funny. Uh, so I'll tell you this. And I don't know if I told James this, but uh, I don't know. I don't know, but, but I'll, I'll just tell you this story. So this is really funny. James, he called me and I, and I said, hey man, if you need any help with these backing tracks, you know, I'd love to help you. And so he said, oh yeah, man, you know, I, I want to make, I got a song really good. So man, I'm going to send you the demo for that. And then he now my toe, man, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on Hinama Tov. I kind of don't know what to do with that one. So I said, okay, yeah. And, and then he sent me he sent me a few other ones, but I really want to do Hinama Tov, but I got a song is the one. So I said, okay, I'm going to do I got a song first. So when you send, uh, so he's technically, James, okay, I got to tell you this. James is also, he plays everything. He plays everything. He's a phenomenal singer. He's an anomaly. He is, he's very rare he made all the backing tracks and he did all the demos for the first record. He did everything by himself on the second record. Uh, he, you know, he, he sent out a few things to get, uh, for demos and stuff. And so one of the things was he, he asked me if I could help him with just some ideas on, I got a song. So I said, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. Um, I sent him every idea I could come up with every idea I could come up with. I sent him, I sent him 78 tracks. I had 78 tracks that I did. <laughs> And, and I'm telling you, and this is the whole thing. So it's, you know, half of it's talent, half of it is hard work. Yeah. See, like on Hinama Tov, I sent him before the recording, I sent him, I'm pretty sure it was 38 tracks for mm-hmm. Hinama Tov. And so you're thinking like, man, like 38 tracks, what did you, what, like, ha- what do you mean 38 tracks? So the whole thing about Hebrew music, which I didn't know this, because I've personally never played Hebrew music before, um, Hebrew music is kind of like Latin jazz. Um, now, mm-hmm. Hebrew music, everything is on the beat. And Latin jazz, everything is like pushed. And so that's the, that's the main difference between Hebrew like kind of music and, and Latin jazz kind of music. So when I listened to Hina Matsopa, I was like, oh, well, we need to do stuff. You know, all, the, all the accents and everything, it needs to be straight. So, but if you do that Latin jazz, everything is like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, everything's pushed. So I didn't, and still, I didn't know, I didn't know Hebrew music. So I said, man, let me go to the the best example of Hebrew music that I could ever think of. Uh, let me go to the Prince of Egypt. So I watched, <laughs> I watched, I literally went to the Prince of Egypt from 1999. Uh, there's a, so the Prince of Egypt, this song, um, there can be miracles when uh-huh. you believe. Okay, so that song. When you watch it in the movie, there goes to a part. They go to a part where they start singing in Hebrew, and they go. And eventually, there's like a, some like a, a percussion, a loop that comes in, and it goes like. And I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm taking that." So I literally. <laughs> I literally listened to the Prince of Egypt and I listened to the, the percussion and I copied that and I put it on Hinama Tov. So the beginning of Hinama Tov, it goes like, it's literally the same thing. That is hilarious. So I work at a coffee shop. I'm watching the Prince of Egypt and then I'm working on this track. That's literally what I promised. That's what I did. That is so cool. As soon as we play it, Ken is on the drums and he's like, he like, he did some magic and, you know, on the drums as soon as he heard that. And then Travis, he started, you know, playing a run and stuff. And so we were all really excited. And then that's where we came up with the idea of on the second time doing the intro, 
where the guitar player would do the line and then you would have this like there's almost like trap version of the intro so it kind of brought these two uh genres together but all of that came from a joke and that and that actually ends up being most of the conclusions if you hear something really cool on the album it's it's probably most of the time a joke i mean uh, so it that, starts off as a joke i, I promise it's it, like <laughs> like if you like i can give you so many examples the stuff that happened on drones recording it was a joke Mo- actually on his album more than anything because we were having such a good time these are some awesome stories. I am so excited to be able to hear about these behind the scenes things. If you, Gideon, if you only knew how many hits on YouTube these videos get from our house, like my children are obsessed with all these songs you're talking about. We watch them over and over and over again. When you're singing all the little parts of Hine Matov, I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. exactly. Because we have listened to this song a thousand times. Exactly. <laughs> It's so it's so fun. And it's so fun um, for us whenever we're watching some of these videos to be like, wait, where's Gideon? Where's Gideon? Oh, there he is. There's Gideon. Yeah, I'm somewhere. Somewhere so there. It's you know? so <laughs> fun. It's just fun. Thank you so much for sharing some of this behind the scenes. I think it's going to be really great for people to hear because these are great songs and they're it's a great time to be a part of and listening to Absolute Music. So we're so excited that you've been able to come on the show today and talk to us about this. We're going to give you one last question and then I'm going to let you go. Okay. We always ask the same question to wrap up our show, which is, because we are called Good Question, what is a good question that you're asking yourself lately? What is a good question that I'm asking myself? Well, lately, yeah. You know, man, that is a good question. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's huge still that they talk about all these people that had high faith, you know? So I, I think about my life and, you know, there's you have plenty of days, you know, but the question that I ask myself now is, like, hey, is is what I'm doing right now for God the absolute best thing that I could be doing for God? So the will of God for everyone's life is that they're saved, right? So he sets mm-hmm. up, we took a class at IBC called Systematic Theology, and there's Systematic Theology 1 and 2, but they, in that class, we, we asked the question, hey, um, does God create people knowing that they're going to go to hell? Really, really heavy question. That was the first thing that was asked to us. And then, he, and then he said, you're just missing Jesus' name. And I was like, man, how are you, you going to ask that question and, and then like, let us walk out? And the, and the fact is, yes, God does create people. And it's not because he wants them to go to hell. It's because, he, uh, well, we have free will, right? So everybody has the opportunity to go to heaven. And if, if in this rule book that we have, you know, it's, some people say basic instructions before leaving earth as the Bible. Um, God wants everybody to be, to be saved. So he sets up our life and he basically places us and all of history so this way we would have the best opportunity to be saved. And yeah. when I ask the question to myself, man, am I doing the thing that God wants me to do? Like, you know, I a lot of time I uh, raise my hand, I don't know. But I know that the last thing that God told me to do was to do this. So I'm going to do this until my 40 years is up. And then because the will of God is that everybody's safe, right? But the calling of God, that can change. So the calling back in the day, they used to say, what's your calling? And that was, what's your job? So you'd say, man, I'm a, I'm a music minister right now. But in five years, in 10 years, my calling could be doing something different. But the will of God never changes for my life. So I think that's my question. That, that's the question I'm asking myself. It's a good one. It's one we should all be asking. Well, Gideon, I appreciate so much your time. I thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. You've really, really, really given us a lot to think about. And that's something that we love on this podcast. So 
Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for asking me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. And yeah, and I hope that a lot of people are blessed by this. I think they will be. I think they will be. You've talked to so many different things that I think people struggle with, people wonder about. And so I think it's gonna, it's really gonna bless somebody. Some of my favorite conversations on this show are ones where the guest brings so much more to the discussion than I even knew to ask them. I loved this chat with Gideon so much. His honesty and vulnerability were a gift to me and I hope to you as well. What a powerful reminder that what we see on a stage or platform when someone seems to be at the height of success or acclaim never tells the whole story. Thank God for friends and mentors who are open to hearing our hard questions and sitting with us as we wrestle with doubts and confusion. You know that's a passion for us here. I know there was something in this episode that spoke to you. We'd love for you to share it with a friend and come find us on social media and continue the conversation. We are on Instagram at Good Question Show and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Good Question with Jessica Tanderup Podcast. Our email address is goodquestion at gmail.com. To follow along with Team Tanderup on our swiftly approaching short-term missions adventure to Denmark, we're Tanderups for Denmark on Instagram. That's Tanderups with an S, the number four, Denmark, and on Facebook as well. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media. It's produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup, my co-producer, editor, and the man who absolutely deserves a raise. After this week, you guys, I discovered that I forgot to click end on this recording with Gideon until 18 hours later. Dave Tanderup, you are the real MVP. Our audio engineer is Josh Powalczyk. Thanks as always to Ricky and Jessica Simpson for their help this season. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.